situations that tug of war at me all day long I struggle for the answers that I need then I come into his presence and all my questions become clear and for that sacred moment no doubt can interfere in the
family. Go ahead and bring your blanket. I know you are cold. Joel and his family, if they would come stand right here in front of me. Again, so very glad to see each and every one. There you go. Joel, stand right here and uh, Blair right there on that side of him and Anita, y'all face that away. And I want to ask at this time if if ever or any of our men that would like to come up here and pray with me to come right now. If you'd like to come pray for Brother Joel, just place your hand upon him, his wife, on, if you can't reach them, place a hand upon a shoulder of the man next to you. Any of our guys that would like to come help in this, I appreciate you. I appreciate your leadership. And I know Brother Joel appreciates your prayers. Father, I'm praying right now for healing. I'm praying that you just reach down and touch Joel. We love him and his family. We appreciate them so very much and the sacrifices that they've made. Father, go with him on this journey. It's definitely a challenge to his health. Father, that he would be patient, and we know that you'll be right there with him. Thank you for his example and his hard work and his sacrifice. And I thank you for these men who said that they want to acknowledge that they're praying for Joel and his family. I thank you for their prayers, their help, their love, their support, their their kindness. Father, I just know that there's so many people all over that are that's been helping us through this journey and believes and that they're praying too. There's churches everywhere right now that are lifting him up in prayer and showing their love and support. And Father, we thank you for being the healing Savior that you are, and we place it all in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. The uh
I love him and his family. And I hope and pray you know that. And uh, that uh, we found out, and I know he knows already, that our step of faith several years ago to be a sending church of an American to a foreign land was a huge step of faith for us here at Promised Land. We had never done that before as a church. And I appreciate the church, our church, stepping out on faith and saying, we will step up. We will send Joel and his family to the country of Belize, a country that's because of its history and English speaking, the British history of it, and the uh, has been overrun with uh, numerous other religions. And he's there teaching the truth, preaching the truth. And by all means, we have been blessed. He's established a church already. Uh, he and another one of our ABA uh, missionaries worked. And at a seminary teaching Belizean pastors. And so they're able to reproduce themselves. Matter of fact, Joel and I were visiting. And uh, we were talking about uh, there's a, another uh, mission uh, person that was talking about missions. And I shared this with my class, Mission Dilemmas. And, you know, all our job is is not to really to start a church, but to to see believers come to know Jesus Christ and they have their own church and they reproduce themselves. And that's what it's all about. A church reproducing itself. And that's what Promised Land is doing. Right now we support so many missions and it's wonderful. Matter of fact, uh, uh, four Sundays from today uh, on a Sunday night, uh, we'll have a, a missionary, Brother Glenn Knight, who will be coming to speak and, and, uh, of course, that promised land years ago started working in the Philippines and has been working there for different uh, pastors and different ones. We're finishing up uh, pursuing a life of excellence and a life uh, and trying to live that life of excellence. And again, looking at the words of Jesus, I pray that you picked up a bulletin on the way in. It kind of gives you a road map, if you will. Of where we're headed. We're finishing up chapter 5. And Jesus ends the chapter with words encouraging us to love the unlovable. So I simply titled the message, How to Love the Unlovable. And uh, the Jews probably bristled. I mean, have you ever seen a, a cat's uh, hair stand up on the back of its neck? And, you know, you can see it all the way down its uh, backbone. The hair just goes, and whenever they're scared or frightened or, or just uh, riled up. You know, a cat can do it. And then the Jews as a people, you know, we bristle up sometimes. And it's usually whenever we're... Uh, hearing news that we don't care for, don't like, or, or just afraid of, and uh, how to love the unlovable. This probably didn't sit well with them. They, the Jews, they, they thought that they, and they a lot of times still do, they think they're better than uh, Gentiles. They did look down on any, a Gentile is just, it means any other nation, any other nation. So anybody that was not of the house of Israel was looked down upon. And so we're just going to read the very 
first two verses of this passage, which is verse 43 and 44. Would you mind standing for the reading of God's Word? Verse 43 and 44. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Father, I thank you for the good number that we've been blessed with. I thank you for Gracie and her following you in baptism. We've had several baptized. I'm lifting them all up. We have more to go. I'm praying that, uh, that you would bless them in their lives. And I thank you for Promised Land Church. Bless Brother Joel and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just uh, again, if uh, your Bible is like mine, it's all red letter here. It's just, it's just all right there. So Jesus is preaching this sermon, and uh, he's talking about something brand new. They've heard it many times before, uh, and that's what, matter of fact, this is the last of this phrasing. You have heard it said, or you have heard, but then he says, but I say unto you. So that's basically what he has here. I've got another, hey, listen, this is the way you grew up. This is what you've known all your life. This is the way your grandparents thought. And really, in looking back, that's all that really was ever required of them, is to be nice to people that are nice to you. But I say, Jesus is getting... Matter of fact, did you know at this time, when Jesus uttered these words, they had never heard anything like this before. What do you mean, I've got to be nice to people that are mean to me? What do you mean, I've got to love people who hate me? I've got to return good for evil? And remember, previously we dealt with turn the other cheek. And I've got to, what do you mean? And basically, it, what it meant in this whole context, and these are within seven verses of each other, all this passage, turn the other cheek, basically it means do not retaliate evil for evil. Somebody is mean to you. Can you be the bigger person? Somebody calls you a name. Can you be the bigger person? Somebody is unkind to you. Can you be more mature, more grown up, more Christian, more Christ-like? And he gets into that. Matter of fact, we'll look at what Paul said in our one of the verses. You know, this practice of the Jews really had become their tradition. Many of their practices were based upon tradition. Jesus had something to say about this in Mark 7, 7, just a few pages over in your Bible. Mark 7, 7 says this, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. What does this tell me and tell you that now think about this. This is this letter, this book is over two thousand years old, basically. What he's not quite, but just right at it. And he's so this they pin these words down of Jesus. This is a two thousand because guess what? Now even today in a lot of churches, uh, someone told me the other day. You know, there's a lot of religions 
And it was somebody that had recently graduated from college and uh, they had entered into their field of study. And they said, you really just can't really know. But uh, and I said, I, I really do believe you can. And you know what you need to do? And I was discussing with this individual who said, I just don't really think you can know what. How does how do you really get to heaven? How do you really get there? Well, I said, the first thing we need to do is we need to throw Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, throw all those names out the window. And let's just see what's in the Bible. And that's it. Okay, and so then you boil it down. Let's stop thinking about man's opinion. Then you've got two, just basically two schools of thought. Can you trust the Bible? I trust the Bible. Throw all religions, all names, all denominations out the window. Because back in Jesus' day, basically, it was pretty plain. There wasn't all this extra. I think, you know, the, probably Satan had a lot to do with bringing in multiplicity of denominations because it just causes confusion. But all it is really is different people's opinions on the Bible. But that's what happened here. They were teaching doctrine, excuse me, traditions for their doctrine, for their practice. And says, and in vain do they worship me. Think about it. Somebody think about this. If, if I am coming to church and I am basing how to get to heaven not on what this book says, but on a tradition. What did Jesus just say? In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. So, basic, so I don't need to say I'm going to heaven based on what Dr. So-and-so said, or what Brother Michael said, or what Brother So-and-so said, or some other preacher. It doesn't matter what... Me, what I say, what matters is, is am I preaching, am I or any other preacher standing on what this book says? And, and just looking at it, somebody said, well, how do you know you can trust it? You know, I've, I've told you this before. There's nothing wrong with doubting the Bible. Doubt it. Try to prove it wrong. Many people have tried and none have been successful. Many of those doubters and many of those atheists and many of those things. Just bring on the doubts. And God is not above being questioned. Put me to the test, He said. I will prove you that I'm real. That I, can, I do. And I gave my Son for you. And I love you more than anything. And folks, get this. Get this. The whole premise. The whole premise. And when you leave this room, this auditorium, this morning in just a little while, you say, what did Brother Michael preach on? And that is, God loved the unlovable. And that's me and you. God loves people who don't love Him back. God loves people in spite of people that spit in His face, in spite of people that turn their back on Him, in spite of people that says, I don't care what Jesus says. I don't care what that Bible says. I will never be like God. I will not love the unlovable. I will not be like Him. I don't want to do that. How could you love somebody like that? How could you extend love to somebody? Jesus said to love people. And it didn't matter 
if they were nice or kind or tall or short. Love them. You know, no one had ever taught this. Jesus Himself, just a few pages more, over to John. He, taught, he said this was a new commandment. John 13, verse 34 says this. <clears throat> a new commandment. Whoa, you kidding me? A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, why should you, why should you do verse 34? I love it when the Bible just answers itself. Why should you do verse 34? Well, verse 35, remember when Jesus was writing all this and John, and all, there was no chapters and verses. They were added way later, just so we could find this stuff. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples indeed, that you have love one to another. Well, okay, so I'm supposed to be a good example. I'm supposed to love other people because God did it. I'm supposed to love other people because it reflects Jesus. I'm supposed to love people who are, who are unkind, who are not nice, who are call me names, who are mean, who are, who are whatever. I'm supposed to do that because Jesus said to. God, He set the pattern and He did it and God did it. God loves us. Are we always nice to God? Are we always obedient to God? Are we always do what God wants? We don't. But He loves us anyway. You know, back in our text, we get to the question of why. Okay, so he said, as he said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Verse 45 says this. Why should you do this? This reciprocates and acknowledges what he said in John. That you may be the children of your father. Somebody, I don't know who, says that Caleb and I look alike. Uh, just maybe a little resemblance there. I don't see it. I'm much better looking than he is. And uh, so, you know, I just don't, you know, know where that's coming from. But, you know, but guess what? And, and it's good. It's good that, you know, and he's trying to also equal me in my basketball game. He's getting, to, he did beat me on the one-on-one, finally, son, just the other day. So there are some similarities between Caleb and myself. What does this verse say? That there may be some similarities. Do you resemble the Father? Man, they, they act like a Christian. Have you ever met anybody that said, well, they say they're saved, but I just don't see it? <laughs> I'm just, I just... <laughs> They go to church, but I just don't know about that. That's not matching this verse, is it? Why should I love the unlovable? Why should I be kind to people who are unkind? What is this verse? What does the Word of God say? That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day. I just, man, man, I, I go to church, and I try to serve the Lord, but oh, so-and-so who lives like a heathen, they just don't have ever have any problems. I just don't understand that. And 
God, we're, we're not to try to equate and we're not to say, well, the bad things should happen to this one and good things should happen to this one. Just like, you know, when Brother Joel got the news about his diagnosis, like, well, he's thinking, well, my goodness, I've been serving the Lord and I love my wife and, and I've got my, you know, and I'm doing this and I'm, and I'm surrendered my life to ministry, not just in the U.S., but into another country. And we ask the question, why? God says, don't worry about that. You know, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Just don't try to figure it all out. I'll take care of all that later. He says, but you in the meantime, why you're, why you're trying not to figure it out, why you're trying to say, I don't understand why, you say, I need to be kind to unkind people. I need to be nice. I need to turn the other cheek. I need to pray for people. I need to lift them up. I need to be the bigger person. Because why? Because Jesus asked me to. Because Jesus asked me to. It's a, it's a hard question or a hard thing to do. There's another passage. Paul taught this same thing in Philippians. So I'm supposed to be a good example. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> says this, Wherefore, my beloved, if you, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you. So God's trying to do this. And work, when it says work out your own salvation, it means show you're saved. Work it out. Let it be seen. Let people know that you're a child of the King. That word work out doesn't mean work for it means work it out. You know, kind of like, you know, if I work out, you will see results in my fitness, in my level of doing. You work it out. Let people see your salvation. Because why? For it is, verse 13, God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. He wants other people to see His will in your life. Then He says, do all things... Well, this is to a church without murmurings and disputings. Murmurings are all the quiet little whispers that people are, hey, I don't like what so-and-so's doing. I don't like so-and-so. I don't care about this. I don't care. And then it leads to disputings, which is open arguments. Stop doing that. Stop doing that, he's saying. Do all things without doing that. Stop Cutting each other down. Folks, if you want to do that, just go to your workplace and your school. We don't need to be act like, acting like the workplace at the church place. Amen? Why? Why? Verse 15. What, is it? what does verse two, Philippians 2.15 say? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run, that means lived in vain, neither labored in vain. The next point that I titled, I was flipping back and forth on points, and I just titled it, Grow Up Big Baby. <laughs> Jesus is saying, don't act like everyone else. You know, the church, our church family should be a reprieve from school. You say, well, man, people are backstabbing, acting like idiots at work. And then I go to church and they're doing the same thing. Should that be? Is that the will of God? Is that what Jesus wants? 
Or, or people go to school and, and uh, teenagers may go to school and they say, well, man, people t- talk and do all this stuff. And, you know, and, and any of you have ever, and now we have, not only do we have, uh, you know, used to you only gossiped on either to people's face or you gossip to, uh, on a telephone. That was the only way to gossip back in, but now we got internet and instant messaging and texting and Facebook. And there's, all it is is it's the same song, different verse. <laughs> it's the, and people are people no matter what, doesn't matter what tools. Guess what? Rumors could travel just as fast in Jesus' day as they do in the internet day. It doesn't matter. And so he's saying here in these verses, don't be like everybody else. Look at what he says. Verse 46. Now, what he's saying as he's looking, he's looking over here at the Pharisees and the publicans. Y'all don't need to be like these guys. It says, notice verse 46. For if you love them, let's just put it the way we talk. If you love people which love you, what's the big deal? That's easy. It says, what reward have you? In other words, don't toot your own horn. Don't brag too much. It's easy to love people who like you. (laughs) It's easy to love people who love you back. Even the publicans do that. Look at verse 47. If you salute your brethren only, in other words, I only greet people that are like me. I'll, that's the only ones I want to speak to or talk to. That's what it says. Salute means to greet. What do you more than others? Do not even the publican so? And then it says, be therefore perfect. And many of you already know what this means. But if, if you haven't ever looked this up, it, don't, it doesn't mean without mistake. Be ye therefore perfect means mature and grown up. Grow up. Don't do like everybody else is doing. If other people are immature and, and, and act like little babies, that means I should do that. No, that's not what he's saying, is it? He's saying, don't do that. He's saying, even the publicans and the Pharisees act like immature and they only talk to people they want to talk to or they only act nice to the people that are nice to them. They only do things nice to other people that are nice to them. They only reciprocate if somebody gives them a favor. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Jesus said this and so did... The Apostle Paul, he was trying to get this church to grow up. And so he wrote the letter, and it sounds like, and you say, well, you know, this sounds pretty pretty harsh, Brother Michael. But all he's saying is, come on, just grow up in the Lord. Be ye therefore mature as your Father is mature. Grow up. That's what he's saying. Could you believe this? Did you know this this letter right here? Again, almost 2,000-year-old church. This is a church. What problems is this church having 2,000 years ago? Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, it says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, these were church members, even as unto babes in Christ. 
I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you, guess what? This church, and so this church was having problems. He said, how can I teach you anything else? Think about this. Now, you know, why wouldn't we want to, you know, man, Ethan... Or yet, you nailed that song. Way to go, man. You nailed that song. You know, in the presence of Jehovah, you, you nailed it. And that was great. And I want to come to church and worship the King. And worship my Messiah. And worship my Savior. That's it. That's what it's all about. To have a freedom of worship. And I want to come here and worship. And I want to adore Jesus. But Paul's saying... Oops, you can't. Because the end of verse 3, I'm in 1 Corinthians 3 3, which I like the distance on this Bible right now. <laughs> is there, there is among you envying and strife and divisions, and are you. Not carnal. You know what that means? Just say it redneck style. Aren't you in the flesh? And then it says, and walk as men? Question mark. Is in your Bible and my Bible. You act, You think you're a man? You, you're acting like that and you think you're grown up. That word man means grown up. No. I put in there about when a toddler doesn't get his way. We had a one of our three kids, and I won't say which one. And uh, when they didn't get their way, it went like this. Uh, 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 no, no, I don't want them. I don't want them. I can't believe that. I'm glad I didn't break anything, tray tubs. I mean, need to be careful not do that. But, and then, you know, that, that child of mine would be in the floor, and then they would be laying there, and then they'd stop and they'd look. <laughs> Am I still watching? Karen and I had a policy when they did that. It was called this. And sometimes that fit would last three minutes, sometimes three hours. And you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care. They were going to eat sometime or another. And that's a lot of times the way it is when we don't get our way. God just says, okay. I'm going to turn my back on you. I'm going to leave you alone. Jonah's a good example of that. You know, our hearts should break. And I'll just tell the story about Jonah. You know, he, uh, I don't like those people. I don't want to go. And, you know, God just didn't basically ignore him. Basically, he sent him to the first time out. And this time out wasn't 30 minutes, it was three days. 
inside a fish. You say, well, that's impossible. I don't believe that. It must be a metaphor. They ran an article about finding a man still alive after being inside a whale one time. Lived. Neat article. Google it. If not, I'll find it and print it out for you. Anyway, neither here nor there. It's in the Bible. I believe it. It's up to you whether to believe it or not. It happened to Jonah. Even Jesus used it as an example later. He said, as Jonah was in the heart of a whale, three days and three nights, I, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He said, and basic buried and come out. I'm coming out. And so it wasn't three parts of days. I think Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. But, but he was in there. But this is it. This is, the, this is what it was. I think Jonah was an immature prophet of the Lord. Because, listen to this, revival, revival was breaking out in Nineveh. Who was sitting on the hill pouting? I told you this was going to happen. You can read it. It's a neat story. I read it the other day. Just was thumbing through it and uh, my daily Bible reading and went through it. And uh, he was sitting on the hill and he said, I knew it. And he didn't like Ninevites. They were, they were Gentiles. He wasn't. And he didn't like those people. But God says, love them anyway. And preach the word to them. They had revival. Listen to this. Listen to this. So that proves, that proves, can a revival break out while somebody's sitting on a hill pouting? It is. Revival. I thank the Lord and praise the Lord for souls and lives that have been changed. I praise the Lord for you, Corey. I praise the Lord for Gracie. I praise the Lord for Juliana. I praise the Lord for everybody that's come for baptism. I praise the Lord for them and lives that have been changed. I praise the Lord for the work and response that Joel's getting and believes. I praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord this morning as we get ready for a hymn of invitation. <clears throat> Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, Your Word tells us to, to love people and help us to lay aside our carnal nature, our fleshly, what our flesh wants, and say, Dear Lord, help me to love people because You love us. You love us even while we're yet sinners. You died for us. If there's somebody here this morning that they've never been saved, they don't know how, they don't even know what this love feels like because they've never prayed and asked you into their heart. They've never asked you to be their Savior. They never realize that we are all sinners in need of you as our Savior. Dear Lord, may they call upon You this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.